tonight we are going to be going over a huge passage, okay? This is going to be 1 John. We're going to cover verses 1 through 3 of chapter 3. So we're going to be going a long ways through this book. But the, the last time that we spoke, um, we went through 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2. And just to catch you guys all up, this reads, And now, little children, abide in him, that's Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And these verses play a very important role for the setup into tonight's passage. So just really briefly, what we learned from that previous passage there is that when we pray, we can run to Jesus. He is our advocate. And we can run to the Father directly into his throne room. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do God's will. As children, we have boldness to come into the throne room of God. That is a bold statement to say. If you didn't know that, a king in the olden days, in medieval times, if you barged into the throne room, what happened? You were executed because you didn't belong there. But if a prince or a princess comes into the throne room of the king, do you think the king is going to execute his own child? Absolutely not, right? And so we, as the children of God, who calls himself the king of kings, right? We can boldly come into the throne room. We can run to our father and we can just say, hey, daddy, I need something. And he'll be like, what do you need? I'm kind of in the middle of an important meeting, right? But we can come in boldly and we don't need to come in and just kind of shrink in and be like, please, please, can, can I come in here? No, what is... Tyler always loves to say this whenever he's in his office. His kids, what do they do? They just barge right in. Daddy, I need a Coke right now. There's nothing else that's important that's, that you're doing right now. I know you're studying the Word of God, but right now is when I need this Coke, right? And we can do that with our Heavenly Father, too. We don't have to be afraid. The Lord cares about us. Amen? All right. So, as parents, those of you who are parents, you don't have to raise your hand, but you're not only proud when your children do things perfectly, are you? Sometimes you're just proud of them when they gave it their best, right? And we often see this when you're coloring pictures, right? Just because they didn't stay inside of the lines doesn't mean they did a terrible job, right? They bring it to you, mommy, look what I made you. And what do you do? You put it right up on the fridge, where exactly where it belongs, because that's a perfect piece of art, right? <laughs> Amen. It's the same thing with God. God uses us. And raise your hand if you're perfect. Awesome. You guys passed the test, except Warren. <laughs> Great. But here, you know, the Lord loves us, guys. And we can't forget this. We are his children, and so we are going to... We have to establish that first in order to get into this passage tonight. But here at Calvary Chapel Trustful, we love to say this phrase, by prayer or not at all. Good job. 
And I'd like to add just for tonight that what I mean when I say by prayer or not at all, I'm also implying that the style in which we pray ought to be bold, you guys, unguarded from hedging our prayers. Do you know what I mean by that? Instead of using a safety netting or saying anything other than what you are actually requesting from the Lord, leave that out of your prayers, guys. The Lord will sort it out because what does the Lord say? I'll give it to you if it's according to my will. Let the Lord work that out, okay? You're not God, so don't hedge your own prayers, okay? Good. Ask like a child. What does a child do? I need it right now, and they're just going to start grabbing for it, right? They're just going to go. But keep in mind, we do not demand anything of God. Certainly not. God does not have to do anything for us, right? There is not a single thing that we deserve. In fact, we deserve what, Steve? Death in hell. Amen? We do not demand anything. But as a child of the King of Kings, going back to that, all we need to do is ask. And he, as our loving father, will give us good gifts. When we desire to do the will of God, he gives us the strength, or he gives us the gifts, or he gives us the ability to carry out his mission. The triune God, the creator of the universe, has decided to use people. He has decided to use you, and he's decided to use me. And if you can identify as a child of God, by the way you carry out your life, you're in good company. But the way that you identify somebody that is carrying out the will of God is by their walk, what we call practicing righteousness. Or if somebody is of the world, they're going to be practicing conformity. We are not conformed to this world, but we are what? Transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, how can we be called children of God? I'm so glad that you asked. So let's get into tonight's passage. Turn with me, y'all, to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. I could stop right there, but we're going to continue on. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What a theologically loaded passage we're going to get into tonight. So I'm going to have to pause really quick right here and let us know that in order to get into tonight's passage, we're going to have to make a few assumptions. Some of these points, you know, if you don't start here, nothing that follows this message is going to make any sense. Okay? Number one, God is real. He exists outside of time, space, 
and matter as a trinity. He is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is three and one, the trinity. God also created everything that exists, and he has a purpose for everything that he made. Number three, we, as humans, we ruin creation by introducing sin into what we see today through our own free will. If you don't start at those three things, nothing else is going to make any sense at all tonight. So if you're an atheist, you can tune out. But tonight, we're going to start with the kind of love that we're going to see tonight. This is the love of the Father. And this, by the way, is not earned. And this is the love that God shows here. God loves us so much that he will not leave us on our own in a world full of sin. And we'll see this continuously throughout just this letter, but you see it everywhere else in the Bible. But right now, what you need to accept from God is that he loves you so very much. And what you see in the world all around you is not what he intended for his per perfect creation. Read with me John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. A lot of you may already have this verse memorized. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And here's the next verse for those of you who, who did VBS. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world might through him be saved. So when we say that the world was corrupted, right? When we say that, we do not say that God's plan was fooled, right? We see from John chapter 3, verse 16, God made a plan. What was his plan? To send Jesus to redeem the world. That everyone who has lived on the earth has hope. So absolutely not. We do not say that God's plan was fooled straight from the get-go and Satan won immediately. Absolutely not. But God loves us so much that from the very beginning, he made a plan, a plan of redemption, a plan for you, and a plan for me. And the plan has always been to redeem creation and to allow us to know the pain of corruption so that we can fully appreciate the perfection that will be in the future in heaven with God. The first phrase that we see here tonight is one word, see. And it's followed by what love the Father has given to us. This is demonstrative language. This is demonstrating, right? This is the truth of the love that the Father gives us. So observe this truth with me. God sent his one and only son down from perfection into the world in order that he could live a perfect, sinless life and to be the perfect sacrifice once and for all for humanity. Just like he promised in the Old Testament in Genesis, guys. He did that just for you. Amen? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Go and read these verses later for your devos or whatever you do. But listen, listen to these verses. For this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I could preach on that too, but we're not going to. Look also, Luke chapter 7, verses 41 through 50, but specifically verse 47. If you're familiar with this passage, you'll know what we're talking about here. He who has been forgiven of much, what? Loves much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. You also see this same exact message in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. A person who was born into money will never appreciate the value of wealth. You see this in the parable. That's the prodigal son, by the way. He had all of this wealth, and he took it for granted. He wasted it away. And then, only after he experienced the difficulty that it requires in order to earn wealth, did he return to his father. You might be familiar with that story. That might be your story. It certainly was mine. But remember, there are two children in that story. And a lot of times we just overlook that second guy. And he was loyal throughout that entire story. He never left. He was always there by his father's side. He was working. But then when his brother came back, and his brother was being celebrated for being back, he was bitter. Brothers and sisters, don't be bitter. Don't be bitter when somebody leaves the faith and is rescued from the clutches of hell. We ought to be celebrating just as the father celebrated his lost prodigal son. Some of you might know a prodigal. Some of you might know somebody who has never experienced the love of Jesus. We need to celebrate when they are grasped from the fire, snatched from the fire. We need to celebrate. We need to give some woo-hoos, you know? Because remember, as such were some of you. Amen? So we have to see what kind of love the Father gives us. How do you see it? Well, we see it in our life. We see it demonstrated through your testimony. Those of you who have a testimony, you need to share your testimony. Your testimony is not just for you. It's not just so that you can be encouraged. That is for everyone else in your life as well. Your testimony means something. God did not let you go through all of that suffering for nothing. Okay? A lot of you need to accept that. The Lord allowed you to go through all of those trials, all those tribulations, so that you can help the next person. That person no longer needs to just sit in, in the mire anymore. I've been there. Let me show you how to walk out of it. Amen? That's the power of your testimony. So, we have to see it. But how do we see 
unless we are taught how to show it, right? So, all of you old, old heads in here, grab a young head. They need to learn. They need to be rattled around a little bit. That's what, kind of what we talked about the last time. They need to be taught. Don't just say, oh, they're, they're just this, that, and the other thing. Teach them. They need to be taught. So, those of you who are younger, you need to be able to observe. You need to have the humility. Uh-oh, darn it. Now I have to not be prideful and think I know everything. I'm talking to myself, by the way. So, you have to allow someone else to edify you. You need to allow them to speak into your life. The next thing that you see from this passage, after what kind of love the Father has given to us, that demonstrative love, is that we should be called children of God. Beloved. Oh, man, what a word that is right there. Did you know that you are loved and valued by God? Wow. Just allow that to marinate for an entire Devo session. Just allow that to be your prayer. And man, you will not leave there grumpy. I promise you that. You are loved and you are valued as a child of God. But we live in this life, do we not? We live in the world. And guess what? This ain't it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But this is not what we are looking forward to, right? We are looking forward to what? Perfection. Is this perfection? No, it is not. So we are looking forward to something better. But you know what? In this passage, we, we get this insight right here. And this is going to be found in uh, verse 2 right here. We don't even know what this is going to be. Can you just think about that for right now? The world that God created, and he said, this is good. This is nothing close to the perfection. Because he says, we don't even know. We can't even grasp because everything that we see right now is such a shadow that when we get up to heaven, we're just going to be like, wow, this is amazing. But the thing that we do know from this passage is that we are going to be like him. Do y'all remember the lie that the devil said in the garden? When you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Hold on. You're telling me that the lie that the devil gave us in the garden, you're actually going to give that to us anyways? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm just saying, you guys, I was, I was just smiling ear to ear when I was studying this. This is amazing. These are amazing promises that the Lord gives to us. Because if we are going to be like God, wow. This, I don't even know what else to say. Everything will be different, though. I can promise you that. But this is also a callback to the Old Testament story found in Exodus chapter 33. Take a look at verse 18. I'm going to paraphrase, so pardon me. But Moses asks, God, please show me your glory. And God's reply was this. Moses, I love you so much. Here's what I'm going to do for you. 
I am going to announce to you my name. In other words, I'm going to tell you who I am. That way you can know who I am so you can be a leader for my people. That's amazing in and of itself. But here's the next thing that he says. You cannot see my face, for man shall not live after he sees me. And then he told Moses, go hide. <laughs> and then he passed a bunch of catastrophes. I know we live in Alabama, so y'all will relate to this. He passed a tornado and a thunderstorm and an earthquake all at the same time. <laughs> and Moses was probably hiding in that cleft of the rock, and he was like, oh boy, please, Lord Jesus, protect me. Lord, have mercy. And then the Lord spoke a whisper. After all of that, I don't know about you, but I don't always want to hear a whisper after something crazy like that. But he spoke in a whisper, and Moses was able to see the afterglow of God. And it was so marvelous. What happened? His face was shining. Amen? Amen. Just the afterglow. And what are we being promised? We're going to see God. Guys, what a promise. Satan tried to dupe us. He tried to, to get us to be going to the same place that he was. But guess what? God turned all that around, 360 degrees, and he said, you know what you tried to do? I'm going to give that to them anyways, but I'm going to give it to them right. Oh, guys. Friends, that was Old Testament over there. Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. God said, you can't handle it, but I'm going to give you a piece of it. And we live on the other side of the cross, y'all. So we will actually get the promise that we will actually get to see God as he is. Now, we're not going to see it in this body. We're not going to be able to handle it, just like Moses wasn't able to handle it. But this is what we know. We know we're going to be different. How do, how do I know that? Because I know I won't be able to handle it right now. So we don't even know what we're going to be. But we do know God never lies. Amen? All right. But here's, here's the contrast to this passage. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Y'all, I know this is just preaching to the choir, but the world is going to reject Jesus. The world is not going to receive any of this. The world did not recognize their Messiah when he was here, living and breathing, doing miracles. So do not be discouraged. When you go out and you evangelize, and the world rejects the gospel. Y'all, can we stop getting offended for Jesus? Please. What did Jesus do? Jesus took their beatings, said what? Nothing. Jesus loved on everybody else that no one would associate with because they were too much of sinners. Hypocrisy. Jesus made a lot of religious people upset, mad. They even tried to stone him. And the world called for the crucifixion of their Messiah 
after they realized that he would not conform to their plan and their ideal scenario. His own people. So don't be surprised when they reject the life preserver that you're throwing to them, the gospel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus, just like they have done for 2,000 years. So don't take it personally. But you have a job to do. That doesn't excuse you. Just because they won't accept it doesn't mean you don't tell them. That's terrible. How bad would a doctor be if they never told a patient that they had this disease that needed to be cured? And then that person ends up dying a month later. That person would lose their job, wouldn't they? You, as a believer, have been sent out for such a time as this. You've been sent to your job. You've been sent to your neighborhood. You've been sent to your community for a purpose. God doesn't make mistakes, y'all. God has a purpose for you, and you know that. The world, however, they don't know it yet. But how will they know unless somebody teaches? So, when you throw out the life preserver, just remember this. Some of the three hardest words to admit are, I need help. Why? Why is that so hard for us to say? Because that means I'm not good enough just by myself. That means the destiny is outside of my control. That means that even if I do everything right from here on out, it still won't be good enough. And that scares me. But I don't want to tell you that because I'm prideful. Denial is the first step in recovery. So don't be surprised when they deny. The world wants answers to fix what they can see right here in front of them. And that's why they were rooting for Jesus when he was healing the sick, when he was curing diseases, when he was raising the dead, when he was doing what they wanted him to do, when he fit inside their box that they wanted him to fit inside. Yeah, that's the guy. I'm going to root for him. But how are you going to do all of that kingdom stuff? I thought that was going to be political. And Jesus, what did he do instead? He said, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to be that perfect sacrifice. And by the way, nobody takes my life away from me. I lay it down. The sacrificial love that we were talking about on Sunday was perfectly executed, perfectly realized in the form of Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised when the world comes at you and they're like, oh, I thought Christians just do X, Y, and Z and all this nice stuff, and you're telling me that I have to change everything that I'm doing in order to fall in line with you? You mean I have to give up, you know, whatever it is? Name your sin. You're already thinking of it in your head. You mean I have to give that up? Yes, you do. And you're going to do it for Jesus. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is the line that you have to walk because narrow is the road that leads to righteousness. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. So what are we going to be? Well, since God cannot abide sin in his presence, from 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, we're going to get there probably in a couple of weeks. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13 God cannot abide sin in his presence. 
So obviously something's got to give. And so since we know that God's not going to change, who's going to have to change? Oh man, it's got to be me. I've got to change. So God sent his son for that reason in the first place so that the work could finally be complete. And guys, can you just imagine a sinless world? Man, what is that going to be like? No government, probably? <laughs> Y'all get it. But the fruit of the Spirit will be fully realized and working themselves out in us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. What will love look like? Love will be pure at that point. It'll be uninhibited by the corruption in this world. Man, what is that going to be like? Joy will be abundant. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord, y'all. We're going to be secure. There is not going to be an ounce of depression. There's not going to be an ounce of anxiety. There's not going to be an ounce of fear in his presence. There is going to be abundant joy. You're going to be smiling ear to ear 24-7. I don't even know if that's going to be real because we're going to be outside of time, but the <laughs> point still stands. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things will be perfectly realized. I wonder if there's going to be kiddos up there, toddlers. Can you imagine if they just didn't even sin ever? Man, what is that going to look like? <laughs> Some of y'all parents, you're going to be like, oh, this is so much easier. <laughs> but that's what we're promised as Christians. Can you just imagine just Man, if I could imagine that, I, I would never wake up. That's perfect. Oh, this is great. This is the best dream I've ever had. But we're going to be reborn. Y'all, we're going to have new bodies. We're not going to be in this flesh-corrupted carcass that we're in right now. We're going to be in a beautiful, pure, living body. And honestly, that seems like a gross image, right? Being that corrupted carcass. But that's what we're in right now, y'all. The world is what? It's corrupted. There's so much chaos. There's so much sin. There's so much that needs to be brought in line with God's will. And that's what we're living in right now. And I hope that image is potent in your mind. That this, of what we're living in right now, you can't even touch what's going to be up there. Y'all, that is so exciting for me. I don't even understand. But that would be how God sees us if we don't have the blood of Jesus. So imagine your neighbors. Imagine the people in your life that you've seen. All those people who do not pronounce the name of Jesus. Those who do not profess that the blood is the only way to get to heaven. That's how the Lord is going to see them on Judgment Day. And I love you guys, but listen, we are all sinners, myself included. And believe me, I'm grateful that you all are here. Because this is where we need to be in order to receive the cure for the deadliest disease that's rampant throughout the whole entire world that everybody, 100% of the population is inflicted with right now. And that's sin. Y'all, we're not in our purified 
holy bodies yet. That's still in the future. That's still yet to come. John 16, verse 16. That promise has yet to be fulfilled. I am coming and I am coming soon. Y'all, what Jesus is saying is that he is going to come back like a thief in the night. We don't know the day that he is going to return. I know we have a, a preacher that comes on like every other month that says this is going to be the date, this is going to be the time. We don't know. It could be today. Remember that song, it might be today, every morning. Because it could be today. So all those people that are in your life, y'all, we need to be throwing out that life preserver left and right. All these people that we're passing throughout the world, we need to have love for these people. We need to have pity on these people because if they don't know the truth or if they're being duped and think they are believing in the truth but they're living a lie, y'all, that's dangerous. Don't let the people in your life leave without saying, Jesus is the only way. Oh, I believe in God. That's not good enough. The demons believe and what? They tremble because they know where they're going. Y'all, it's not enough to just believe that God exists. Of course he exists. The, the trees outside prove the existence of God. The birds of the air, the fish in the sea. They all, creation cries out, declaring the works of his majesty. Read your word, y'all. It's not enough to just believe that God exists. You have to know that he has a purpose and that we don't meet up to it. Sorry, I know you think that you're a good person. Good's not good enough. I love those old Western movies. Good ain't good enough. You've got to be perfect. And guess what? You've sinned once if you've sinned a thousand times. So you need the blood of Jesus. But going into this passage, look with me here. In this hope, man, we have hope. I'm so excited. We actually have something to look forward to. The only hope that we have for Judgment Day, and the only hope that's out there, is the blood of Jesus. Here is the thing about hope. Hope influences the way in which a person views the world. If a person has no hope, they're going to be what? Depressed. They're going to stay exactly where they are. They're never going to do anything in, in life. Because there's no hope. What's it good for? Why would I do anything? It's all meaningless. But a person who has hope, what are they looking forward to? They're looking forward to a goal. So many people say goal setting is really important in your life. You need to have a five-year plan. You need to have a ten-year plan so you have something to look forward to. Y'all, the only five or ten year plan I need is the blood of Jesus. And guess what? That's the only thing that I need to have imprinted on my eyeballs whenever I go outside and I see a fallen world. Because guess what? My five year plan, it might be today. Remember the story of the man who had all of those uh, barns full of the grain, full to the top. He said, well, I filled this to the top. So what I'm going to do now is build bigger barns. And what he didn't know is that today 
is the day that is required of you. Today is the day that you're going to be called up to the Lord. Y'all, all these plans, they're great. There's only one thing that we can ever actually truly look forward to. And that's judgment day for some. But for us, those who've been saved by the blood of Jesus, judgment day is going to be a day of rewards. Y'all, have y'all been listening to these revelation messages on Sunday? <laughs> rewards? Are you kidding me? I don't even deserve to be here. And yet you're going to reward me for what little I did on earth? God, you're so good to me. I don't deserve this. And he goes, I know. <laughs> but I love you. And I want you to feel good. This is, this is our God that we serve, y'all. So share him with the rest of the world. Share him with those whom you love and those whom you don't. In this hope, it's not just a, a fantasy that we're looking forward to. If it was, what does Paul say? We of all men are most to be pitied. But since this hope is the only hope that's going to change anything in this world that we're living in, then we better press on to that goal. We better have some five-minute plans. How many of y'all have done some evangelism training of the having an elevator conversation? 30 seconds, y'all. That's all you get? Share the gospel? Ooh, that was tough. But when you have hope, you're going to be looking forward to this. And in doing so, you're going to be pursuing a more direct path. Y'all, you're going to stop getting sidetracked by all these things that start coming your way. Yes, you're going to have bills, y'all. You're going to have things that come up in life. You're going to have a family member that passes unexpectedly. If these things are, they are going to happen. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. You can't expect this world to be perfect. But... You can expect that when you put your eyes on Jesus, you will, like Peter, walk on water. You will be able to do miracles. What did Jesus say right before he ascended up into heaven? He said, these and greater works will you do when I send you my Holy Spirit. Y'all, I don't even know what's greater than resurrecting somebody from the dead, but God, Jesus, said, you're going to do greater works than these? <laughs> Come on, y'all. God is so good. And I know this is going to sound like crazy to some of y'all, but I've been watching the playoffs here recently. I don't know about all of y'all. But I've been seeing these professional athletes go out, perform at such a high level. And you know what I realized when I was preparing this message? They all have hope when they're out there and they're giving it their best. They have hope. They hope that they will win. They're not going out there hoping they're going to lose. And they're not guaranteed to win, even if they're ahead. You still see them. They're looking at the clock. They're like, man, I really hope they don't catch us up. Right? And as a fan, you have hope too, but in a very different way. As a fan, you have no control over what's going on on the screen, do you? You have no control over the outcome of that game. Notice the difference. One has a productive outcome. So we are the players on God's team in this instance, if you're a believer. 
if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Messiah. Against us are the devil and his angels. We wrestle against flesh and blood. No, we wrestle against principalities and powers. Amen? But here's the thing that's different in the scenario that I just mentioned. We have been guaranteed the victory. Amen? That's the difference between us and those players on that field. They're sitting there hoping that they're going to win. We are sitting there hoping we get to score. We just want to be a part of the game. We're sitting there on the bench maybe, and we're just like, man, I just hope I get to go out there and do something. And y'all, even though the game is not over yet, because we're in the final minutes here, the only task that is left for us is to bring more folks to the saving knowledge of Jesus. We have no other task. That is what we are to do. How do we do that? By bringing folks to church, by telling them the gospel, by evangelizing. But I don't have the gift of evangelism. Get over it. Go and do it anyway. God told you to. Go back and read the Great Commission. And if you have to, go and take somebody with you. Look how he sent out the two by two. You know what? It probably was nerve-wracking in those times. It's nerve-wracking in today's times. But guess what? That doesn't give you an excuse to opt out. Figure it out. Check out 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-10 through 10 with me here. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Folks, what are your works? In James, he says, Faith without works is dead. Now, that's not to say that we ought to be legalists and that if you're not doing anything, you're not a Christian. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that when you have hope, when you have a direction in which you're going to be able to go, you are going to produce works. You're going to do something if you actually believe in it. If you don't believe in it, you're not going to do nothing. What we do matters here on earth. Yes, there is grace. Yes, there is mercy. And yes, there is love for us through our advocate, Jesus. We're not forgetting what we've learned throughout the first part of this letter. But we are compounding on our knowledge. Now we're raising the bar. You are going to stand and you are going to give an account of your life and of your actions. And the Lord is not going to accept any excuses on that day. Oh, my dad, you wouldn't understand. And God goes, I do understand. And I gave you your entire rest of your life to redeem your life. Guess what? You don't have a get out of jail free card for your trauma. 
And I learned that that word just literally all it means is the things that happened to you in the past. That certainly does have a lot of definitions to it. And that's not to discount the things that have, you've gone through in your life. But as a Christian, those things that happened in your life ought to encourage you even more to share the gospel with other people. Why? Because they are in that same situation as you were, but they don't have hope. What are people without hope doing? Twiddling their thumbs. They are depressed. They are anxious. They're stressed out, y'all. The world in today's day and age, it is an epidemic, y'all. My age group, even older than myself, especially those that are younger than me, what's there to live for? Are we just going to work nine to five just to pay the man? There's nothing I'm doing. So what's, what am I going to do? Why would I do anything? Y'all, it is a sad day in our country when we realize and when we wake up that these people need a purpose. Guess what? We have an answer. Oh man, we need to share that with people. We need to give people purpose. And it's not us, right? It's the Holy Spirit, of course. But when you see all these people and they are wandering aimlessly, don't, don't be like the older church from before Calvary Chapel Chuck Smith. Don't, don't tell these people, oh, you need to get your act together before you come to church. You need to get this, that, and the other thing right before you come to church. If you keep living that way, you just need to stop coming to church. Y'all, I was on the phone with a guy. I wasn't going to share this story, but I'm going to now. And this guy said, if somebody is living their life and they are still sinning, even after they are professing to be a Christian, they need to stop coming to church. And I said, excuse me, what? I said, where else are they going to find the reason in order to stop sinning? You're sending this person back out into the world to be influenced by the world. And what does the world say? Live however you want. It doesn't matter what you do. You're going to die anyway. But we know that's not true. Amen? And I, I hate to say this, but that brother, he, he may not be saved. And that scares me to death. Because, y'all, if you're not focused on these people the same way that Jesus is, are you following Jesus? Are you imitating Jesus? If that's your heart attitude towards these people that are suffering, because that's what they're doing. They're trying to find a reason to live. And their sin sort of semi tries to fill in the edges of that God-sized hole that they have in their heart. Where else are you going to send a sick person other than the emergency room? If somebody's bleeding out, they need intensive care, where are you going to take them? You're not just going to treat them right there, even if you're a paramedic. Even if you got your paramedic too, you're going to take them straight to the hospital. You're going to patch them up on the way. You're not going to just let them sit exactly where they are. Absolutely not. You're going to get them on that stretcher. You're going to start patching them up, and you're going to drive 85 miles an hour down the highway. <laughs> Pedal to the metal. Y'all get out of my way. This guy needs to get help. He needs to get saved. 
We might even say. Check this out. Luke chapter 18, verse 16. Y'all might remember this story. The disciples were, they were surrounded by a mob. Let's just be real. And all the parents were sending their kids up to Jesus. And they were like, go to Jesus. Go get healed. And the, the disciples were honestly just like trying to stop the mob from getting to Jesus. And they, so they were stopping the children too. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Y'all, we need to just accept certain truths as children. These are, are some of these things that we just need to just let fly by. Because guess what? That does not apply to me. I'm going to focus on my dad, and I'm going to do what my dad told me to do. Children know a few things. And I think that's why the Lord ordained for this language here. The hope. Children have hope in their parents. They have an innate, built-in trust that they are going to provide for them. And rightly so. When a child asks their parent for something, right? They're just going to start grabbing it. Mom, can I have that cookie? They're just reaching for it. And when you say no... There's trouble associated, right? <laughs> and oftentimes, they think that if they don't receive what they're asking for, that's bad. But you know as a parent, sometimes when you withhold something, it's for their own good. We, we need to understand that when we come into this attitude of prayer as well. That, yes, we need to ask, and yes, we need to start going for it, but when the Lord says no, we need to say, okay, daddy. I'm not going to do that anymore. Jesus himself taught us how to pray. And the way that he did has been taught here very many times. So do yourself a favor. Go listen to those messages again. Men, teach yourselves how to pray. So that when your family comes to you with a situation, you can step up. Lead your family in a godly way because you're prayed up and you're ready to go. That's your call to action. Go learn. Jesus certainly did. Where do you find Jesus more often than not? He's trying to get away from all the busyness in order to what? Pray. To be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he can be used by God. I love that Chuck Smith quote. I got to get filled again because I leak. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's not just a once and done, y'all you got to come back to the Father. Jesus did. So how much more do you and I? Now, I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. I'm not anywhere close. I'm trying to get better. And so where do I go to figure out how to do that? I go to Jesus. So how was Jesus pure? Well, I'm glad you asked such a loaded question. Good job. Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? He is both fully God and fully man. And being that, he is also the only man to have ever lived a perfect and sinless life. The lifestyle that Jesus lived was a lot different than the rest of all the religious folks. So is prayer a purifier? Not exactly. But you're on the right track. When you pray, asking to become more like God, since 
that is according to his will, and he is a good father who gives good gifts to his children, he is going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. But, just as Jesus set himself apart in obedience to God that qualified him to achieve the purpose for which he came, Christians are to set themselves apart in obedience to God's revealed will. The one whose future is to be like Jesus embraces this exhortation. But those who have no interest in being like Jesus must question their eschatological future, even if they profess to be a Christian. That was a quote from Dr. Jobes. Some of you may not have heard of him. But where do you stand? In Matthew 25, Jesus will divide the sheep and the goats, you might say between his children and everyone else. And on that day, you will give your account of what you have done. And on that day, I pray that you will have learned to live a lifestyle like Jesus and to be called a child of God. So what do we take away tonight? Don't be surprised. Y'all, when the world rejects the message of the gospel, the gospel is divisive. You're either on Jesus' side or you're not. The way is narrow. Pick up some stragglers on your way in. But don't go off the path yourself. Call to them, follow me as I follow Jesus. This is the way. I'm going to show you how to do it. Come get on the path. Let's go. And if you're a child of God, look, see how much God loves you. If you have yet to experience that love, born again, let me encourage you. God loves you so much that he sacrificed himself for you so that you would have a chance to truly live. All you need to do is receive his love. And for those of you who, it might have been a while since you felt truly loved by the Lord, remember these things. How much have you been forgiven? Mm. When we get to heaven, we are not even going to know what we're going to look like, y'all, but we will see God. We'll be in his presence and we will be like him. Y'all, that will help me sleep better tonight. It's not going to be like this forever. Amen. And during this process that is called sanctification, we will become pure as he is pure. This is not perfection. This is a process. This is the final minutes of play. So get out there and go win some battles in the name of Christ Jesus.